When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today's episode is sponsored by Scorpica by G.R. McAllister from Saga Press. 500 years of peace between queendoms shatters when girls inexplicably stop being born. As the drought of girls stretches across a generation, it sets off a cascade of political and personal consequences across all five queendoms of the known world, throwing long-standing alliances into disarray as each queendom begins to turn on each other, and new threats to each nation rise from within. Kate Quinn, New York Times bestselling author of The Alice Network, called Scorpica an intoxicating brew of court politics, deadly magic, family rivalry, and enough swashbuckling female swordplay to delight Wonder Woman's entire Isle of Amazons. That's Scorpica by G.R. McAllister. Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 123, and we're recording on February 18th. I'm Sharifa Williams, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. And today, we're talking about something near and dear to both of our hearts, foodie stuff, foodie science fiction and fantasy, and I dare you not to be hungry by the end of this episode. <laughs> yes, yeah, such a fun topic and absolutely I'm I'm a baker. I'm I'm learning to yes. be a better cook, but mostly I'm a baker and I love it when food shows up in my fiction of all genres. Although I will say it was really hard to find science fiction. Like fantasy is full of food. Where is all the yeah. food in sci-fi? Yeah, that's really true. And I feel like when it does appear in sci-fi, like usually the books I'd come across are sort of like in the more feel good, like mm. almost comedy sci-fi mm-hmm. or along those lines is when I see uh, food mentioned at all. But yeah, that I thought that that was strange. And I'm like, well, is it because so much of like futuristic so many futuristic worlds uh, turn food into a sort of efficiency product mm. rather than a something to enjoy and, mm. you know, languish or just sit and be still over. Yeah. I don't know what it is. I, I don't know. know. I was trying to make sense. Yeah, <laughs> we'll have to. We'll have to. We'll have to speculate about it some more. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, let's see. Before we get into all of that, uh, let's do another sponsor. This is from Tour Books and Brandon Sanderson, author of the number one New York Times bestselling Stormlight Archive and its fourth installment, Rhythm of War, comes a new hefty novella, Dawn Shard. When a ghost ship is discovered and its crew presumed dead after trying to reach the storm-shrouded island Akina, ship owner Risen Fatori and windrunner Lopin must accept a quest from Navani Colon and sail to the legendary home of the Larkin, a place from which no one has returned alive. 
If they fail, the fate of Roshar and the entire Cosmere hangs in the balance. So obviously, I think you all know who Brandon Sanderson is, as we said, number one time, <laughs> New York Times bestselling author, uh, Mistborn, Way of Kings, etc. Also the completer of Robert Jordan's Wheel of Time series and a consulting producer on the new Amazon Prime original series. So if you are craving some more fantasy hijinks and shenanigans and adventures, uh, Dawn Shard by Brandon Sanderson is probably for you. Well, I'm going to kick us off with some news. And I thought that this would be sort of a fitting introduction to some of our upcoming news stories that we both latched on to. I did not watch the Super Bowl. I do not know about you, but it is not really my thing. <laughs> but <laughs> I do confess that I, I watch it almost every year just because it feels like a cultural oh, wow. moment. Like, And then yeah. also my partner is a football watcher. So um, I'm mostly there for the ads in the halftime show, if I'm being perfectly honest. I mean, I'm like 98% there for the ads in the halftime show. Yeah, I think a lot of people are there for the the commercials or the ads and the the halftime show. And I definitely watched the halftime show, but I I missed out on a lot of the ads. And you know, as happens with Super Bowl, uh, there are a ton of trailers that traditionally show up during the Super Bowl mm. and around the Super Bowl. And so Deadline and Anthony D'Alessandro reported on. The top trailers that saw that made a big impact on social media and got tons and tons of views, and all three of the top performers were SFF. So mm. I thought that that was pretty cool. Um, there are a couple of movies I and I'm sure you are particularly interested in, and those are. For me, at least, I am always interested in the Jurassic Park franchise <laughs> movies, even though some of them are absolutely, in my opinion, terrible. Terrible. Uh, <laughs> terrible. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah I, the last one in particular, I was not happy with, to be perfectly honest. Um, but I think yes. I fell asleep in the <laughs> middle of that one. <laughs> the gender representations are like straight out of some kind of, I don't even know what, like 50s, 60s handbook. It's really sad. Um, yeah. The original, the very first one, I will stand by. The rest of them, I have not so much. But yeah, I did, I did see that trailer. <laughs> yeah, there's a part of me that just wants to... I want to reclaim the feeling I mm. got from the first yeah. movie, and it has been unsuccessful so far. <laughs> and so I think that I'm just like, I just want to see something that's really going to thrill me and is going to recapture that moment. And I guess a lot of other people are because it was the second. Doctor Strange, the Marvel movie, came in um, first place here. And this is a survey or a poll from um, Relish Mix. They collected the stats and put them together. So Doctor Strange came up first, then Jurassic World, Dominion. This is the last movie in the franchise. And then Lord of the Rings, which we'll be talking about as well. Um, and I just like, I, I feel like with SFF trailers, it's almost cheating. Of course, they would come in on top because there are so many opportunities like we were talking about during the last episode to really make things epic and to go all out mm. on effects. And, you know, with a, when you're paying for Super Bowl ads, yeah. 
you really have to show up. Like, you don't want to waste those dollars <laughs> on some little teaser that's not going to give you much. So it was only, it was pretty predictable that they would really come through with some longer trailers that give people a better idea of what these movies are going to look like and really go out all out on showing like some of the most cinematically impactful and you know aesthetic moments of these movies so i'm not surprised by the results here there were a lot of trailers that were um presented during the super bowl i think it said this is a pretty – there's so many stats in this article, mm-hmm. TBH. You'll have to look through them all. I don't even understand half of them. But <laughs> I think that usually there are like a ton of trailers, like 11 to 13 or something like that. And then during uh, COVID, when COVID was really at its height and everybody was indoors and they were kind of – the Super Bowl during that um, timeline was a little bit less, I guess uh, – Less of everything. Mm. They had less trailers for last Super Bowl. So this was like kind of a return to having just a chock-a-block full of trailers. And I can't say I'm surprised that SFF stuff came out on top. But I just wanted to remind everybody that there are a bunch of trailers out there to watch and catch up on. If, like me, you didn't watch the Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, we've been talking about how it's not, you know underground nerd culture anymore like these are all yeah huge blockbusting properties or hope to be in the case of lord of the rings so it's uh it's i think it just continues to mount the evidence that like sci-fi and fantasy is mainstream to the extreme now which is cool yeah that's like that's cool i mean i may i have very mixed feelings about all three of those top properties yeah uh, but you know that's all right we can get into that later <laughs> yeah i feel you there i feel you oh uh, well speaking of lord of the rings we gotta i have a whole corner <laughs> of of things to talk about today so bear so with much. me here um we'll start with the follow-up from listener tomb spalborg uh who apparently was the source of the ask for the sci-fi fantasy magazines so thank you on that um yes. but they noted that uh we were talking about the power the the rings trailer and i think i said like oh it's some cgi of metal but apparently they didn't it's not cgi which i have to be honest i like thank you for the correction but i still don't care <laughs> like I just, it doesn't change how i feel about it like okay so they spend a lot of money do pouring metal for real instead of computer programming it like i still think it's a boring teaser um yeah but but there's a new teaser trailer that came out during the Super Bowl, as Sharifa said, and I have a link to CNET, which has uh, the full trailer reported on by Russell Hawley, um, along with some commentary. And I watched it. And Sharifa, did you did you watch the Rings of Power? Trailer? I did. Okay, okay. It's a lot of Galadriel yeah. for the most part. Uh, baby mm-hmm. Galadriel, which I have to confess, I am struggling a little bit with this casting. She is so baby faced, and I understand that this is a thousand years before the events of the Lord of the Rings or whatever. But like, she, I, if you had told me, if you couldn't see her ears. And you had told me she was baby Eowyn, I would have believed you. But I'm having a harder time with baby Galadriel. 
So, but I'm sure yeah. she's great, and I I will obviously be watching this. I don't know. How do you feel about that trailer? I agree. There are like a few baby faced people, yes. and I don't know if like they were trying to emphasize that you know they were. This is like back when, and there are some characters that are just like ancient, and mm. they just want to allude to the fact that at this time they were you know, younger, whatever that means for them. But mm-hmm. I, I found that striking as well. I was glad for, I mean, the the bar was pretty low. <laughs> so when I say I was glad for a more cinematic yes. trailer and to see something, like they gave us a lot more with this one. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot more drama. There was a mm-hmm. lot more... Um, of everything, just very sweeping views, and we get to see a lot more characters because last time we were doing a lot of like speculating <laughs> yeah. about all the, what hands, the representation, the disembodied yeah. hands, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I I was much happier with this trailer, and my curiosity was much more piqued after seeing it. So yeah, I yeah. suppose they did their job this time. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Uh, yeah, so like, you know, caveats notwithstanding, more interesting. Um, along with actually, we had talked about this a little bit, how like we were trying to like ID skin tone in those hand ads yeah. and it was made difficult by the fact that some of them were like literally covered in dirt uh so you couldn't really see but there is uh quite a few or at least a couple i don't know if quite a few is actually correct um there are more that again low bar more than zero (laughs) folks of color in this show and i am very happy about it obviously there are people out there who are not happy about it i've got a link to a daily beast article uh that was reported on by laura bradley about you know, the unhappy reaction to seeing a black dwarf and, um, you know, an elf who is not the palest of alabaster, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we need to spend much time on that aside from to note that people be people. And um, although I will say <laughs> yeah. uh, the uh, dwarven princess Disa, played by Sophia Nombet, um, looks amazing. Like, I mean, yes. really incredible costuming and hair and all of that jazz. So I'm, I am excited about that. But that does bring me to my another caveat I have, which, you know, we talked about this, I think, way back in the day when we talked about Willow. Like, what an opportunity there could be to cast mm-hmm. actual... Yes people who are smaller in stature like and I don't as far as I can tell from the albeit limited research I have done it does not look like Prime Amazon Prime Studios is taking that to heart either so we're still at like sort of diversity 101 here like okay we have people of color on the screen great like good um will we have any other inclusivity very extremely open question you know so Mm -hmm. uh that's it's a nice step forward. I'm very happy for those actors. I'm extremely happy to be seeing that on the screen. But um, I just don't want us to lose sight of that there's more than one kind of inclusivity out there. Yeah, that's a very good point. And I am sure there's a lot of people in Hollywood who are a little bit less in touch patting themselves <laughs> on the back for, you know, doing the bare minimum. But right. I am glad to see some people of color here. And 
I live for the day when we don't have people being all angry about people of color in fantasy films Mm -hmm. and in any in anything like let's let's just let that go but fantasy is particularly rife with it it's true yes Yes. uh and then i've also got a link to this vanity fair piece which is like a super big dive it's a exclusive first look um reported on by anthony bresnikan and joanna robinson that has like photos and more details about the plot and, you know, interviews with various people and lots of details about the production. Like, if you really want to know more about how this is happening, and there's some good cast photos in there as well, where you can see their whole bodies, um, that is there for you. So, Yeah, I just, the only thing I want to say about this is that I want in my future backyard a little shack that is just like Bronwyn's yes. apothecary. Oh in my those goodness! <laughs> I will co-sign this this life goals wish. Yeah, she's got <laughs> herbs hanging from the ceiling. It, there's like this warm light coming through. Beautiful mullioned windows. Oh, she's got her own mortar and pestle and everything. Oh yeah, I yes. totally agree. It is the like witchy cottage of our dreams. <laughs> exactly. It is giving me everything. It is the place I didn't know I wanted in my life i so. agree i agree Definitely let's go to there that <laughs> yeah <laughs> well i am going to talk about my last trailer which is the jurassic world trailer not everybody's cup of tea and who knows if it'll actually be good there is a bit of a spark of interest for me because we get some of the old cast so this is mm-hmm. coming from Tech Radar and reported on by Richard Edwards with contributions from Tom Power and Tom Goodwin. And this goes really, it just like is the, if you want just the one-stop shop for everything related to Jurassic World Dominion, you can get it all here. It's basically one of those everything we know about this movie posts um and so it has the trailer and i got to catch up also on some of the other stuff i had missed uh which was a a prologue i guess which i i had not known about maybe Mm. you did because i guess they they released it for some viewings of fast and the furious (laughs) i I was like i don't recall and i didn't see that well i I guess i saw it in a drive-in i don't remember seeing it i don't remember okay yeah yeah okay They probably showed it in limited theaters, but there was a prologue. The thing I loved even more than the trailer, the trailer was really, you know, it was everything you would expect Mm -hmm. from a Jurassic Park franchise trailer, you know, with the voiceover from the first movie. That is a very philosophical moment uh, where they're talking about you know the what with basically what they're doing with genetic testing and everything and then you know chris pratt is back which is you know whatever that's all that's exactly (laughs) the word i would use about that whatever yeah not my favorite yeah he's not my favorite chris Mm -mm. no i not mine either uh, but then we also have you know ellie sadler and alan grant who are back in the picture which is, you know, kind of expected since they're they're trying to do this big final movie. So there's a lot going on in this trailer, and it's pretty long. But for me, what 
overshadowed it. I I caught up on this short film that they mm. um that the director pulled together, Battle at Big Rock, which was like about this family that are kind of camping out in a trailer park and then there's this big battle with a dinosaur and then there's this very smart courageous little black girl who uh i won't spoil anything but she's very she knows a lot about dinosaurs and i just thought it was like a cute little 10 minute short thing and i was like why can't we just have a full movie about these this family (laughs) (laughs) dinosaurs like i take that But if you want to catch up on Jurassic World Dominion and see some of the old characters from, you know, the first movie and figure out for yourself whether it's going to recapture that magic for you, you can check it out here. And it does come out June 10th. So it's this year. It was pushed back from, of course, because of pandemic Mm. and filming and everything. It was supposed to be released in 2021, but now we're getting it this summer. So it's going to be that big summer blockbuster you would expect it to be. Did you ever have any thoughts about this? I know it's like, it's not, it's not like super exciting. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, you know, I would go to a drive-in and watch this. Like I, I would, yeah. I would pay, you know, $12 to go to a drive-in and watch it. Um, Cause it, at the very least it is fun to see the dinosaurs on the screen. And mm-hmm. I am excited about Laura Dern particularly being back. I love her. She's great. I I the the thing that I can't stop thinking is whether or not I believe that this is the last. Like do I believe them? Like oh this is the last one. It's like hmm. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I buy it. Honestly, like perhaps it's the last one where they'll be able to get the original cast back all at all at the same time, you know, who knows. But like I I especially if it earns there's no way it's the last one. Like, that's nonsense. So that's my extreme skepticism about this being the last one. So Yeah, it's like the last, <laughs> last, last reunion right. tour, though. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's like, oh, you know the band, you know, past, Michael though. Jordan retires. He's never coming back. Oh, wait, he's back. Like, that's what yeah. it feels like to me. <laughs> You know what? You are I I am also cynical enough to <laughs> doubt that that is the case. I am sure that if anything like there could be straight to streaming films yeah, yeah. and or TV maybe a series. Show. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. There's so many ways to do that. There but. really are. All right. Well, I just want to throw one last one in here real quick. Um because we haven't talked about books at all in this yeah. section. And so here's some book news. They're the 2021 Stabby Awards, which are awarded in 2022 for 2021 books. Uh, File 770 has some coverage uh, reported on by Mike Glyer. I did not remember. I don't know if I knew already and I just forgot. But I was like, what are the Stabby Awards again? They are yeah. awards uh, from a Reddit, sub, like the fantasy subreddit. That's what their awards for. Like they they are yeah. they are given by the fantasy subreddit, which is just sort of cracks me up. That's I mean, but cool. <laughs> yeah, sure. Why not? Like why not have your own awards? Especially because I super appreciate this winner list is the thing that I care about here because it's got so many great books on it. The best debut novel, She Who Became the Sun by Shelley Parker Chan. Big fan. Um, <laughs> best novella went to Fugitive Telemetry by Martha Wells. Everybody loves Murderbot, as we know. 
The best anthology collection or periodical went to Never Have I Ever by Isabel Yap, which I talked about, uh, I think, in the most anticipated. And I still haven't gotten to, but I really want to. Um, And then Alex E. Harrow won for Mr. Death for short fiction. So, yeah, there's just a bunch of, you know, they they clearly... I I appreciate their taste in books, I guess is what I'm trying to say. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I thought that this was super. I also had to like, I know I had heard about the Stabby Awards and maybe we've even talked about it before. My memory is not that good, to be honest, but... (laughs) Uh, but I had to refresh my memory about it as well. And then I was scrolling through and that's when I realized there are also community awards. Yes, like yes. there's an award for best comment on the subreddit, <laughs> <laughs> which I was like, wow, I did not even know like like do they get something? I don't know. I didn't I didn't look too deep there, but yeah. there's also like best um review and best Mm. essay best contributor it's like you get uh you get your own award for just participating and being involved in that subreddit and i think that's pretty cool and there's also critical role i have seen everywhere Mm -hmm. that that one for best related work so many people i know are like obsessed with critical role i haven't checked it out yet but you know my my interest is definitely peaked here but i agree this was a great list this is a great list Mm -hmm. well that's it for our new segment i'm glad we got to talk about some books in there thank you for that (laughs) no problem (laughs) and before we start talking about foodie books i'm going to tell you about our next sponsor which is the audiobook edition of the thousand eyes The Thousand Eyes is read by Aisha Kala. It's the stunning sequel to A.K. Larkwood's The Unspoken Name. Two years after escaping the wizard Belfandros, Sethanai, Sorway, and Shuthmili have made a life hunting for secrets among the ruins of an ancient snake empire. With them is Tal Charosa, who is determined to leave his hometown behind him, even if it means enduring the company of his old rival and her insufferable girlfriend. They'd all be happy never to see Seth and I again, but when they accidentally awaken a terrifying imperial relic, they find that a common enemy may bring them back into his orbit. So Tamsin Muir, who is a a favorite among us all, said that Sorway is the character I wish I'd had when I was a gay 12-year-old. Shuthmili is a character I'm so relieved to have as a gay adult. It is a, again, this is the audiobook, and it was The Unspoken Name, which was the first book in the series, was an Indie Next pick and was nominated for the Astounding Award for Best New Author and two Goldie Awards. So if you like books by Jen Lyons, Joe Abercrombie, and Ursula K. Le Guin, you should check out The Thousand Eyes by A.K. Larkwood, again, read by Aisha Kala. All right. Let's talk about some foodie fiction. Let's do it. Yeah, I think your point (laughs) at the top of the show about how, like, in science fiction, maybe it's less about sort of physical experiences or like the so many things are efficiency focused um but i yeah. i feel like m- a lot of the sci-fi i read is not like everybody's 
eating their food in form of pills. It's not like, or like even like Star Trek replicator, you know, situation. Oh, then now that I'm thinking about it, though, I the two examples that sort of pop into my head that I'm not going to talk about in my picks because we talk about our, their the books all the time. But Becky Chambers has... Um, like, yes. you, it's like that, like, okay, we're on a ship. Everything has to be, like, prepackaged with the exception of what we can grow. Like, how do we make that taste good? That kind of thing, you know. Or, like, Spike um, and Jet arguing about noodles on, on uh... oh, God, why can't I remember the name of the cartoon? Oh, Cowboy Bebop? Yeah, Cowboy Bebop. Thank you. Thank you. My brain just like <laughs> broke for a second there. Like, you know, they're arguing about like what's in the in the bowl. Yeah. And, like that's the kind of foodiness that I think we mostly see in science that's fiction true. specifically. But I would love to see more. Like, where's my like foodie tour of the Galactiverse series? Mm, like, where's that? Yeah. I want to read that. <laughs> Me too. Right? Me too. I would love that. Well, since there are I, so many things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hopefully, maybe people will tell us if there's stuff that we're missing. And otherwise, yeah, maybe somebody I will so. write some for us. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'll go ahead with my sci-fi picks since we're talking about that so much. I'm just going to give a quick shout out to a graphic novel that I'm going to talk about more. I decided to do a backlist to the future about it and one other book that you will just have to listen to the episode to find out. But Space Battle Lunchtime (laughs) is a really delightful graphic novel about a reality cooking show, like Great British Bake Off cooking or Iron Chef or whatever style show in space with like aliens and whatnot. So that's amazing. You'll hear more about that on the next backlist to the future. But I do want to shout it out real quick because it was a good example of what I would love to see more of. Um, My actual pick is a little bit of a sideways pick because, like I said, there's just not that much. Um, But I I thought about The Tea Master and the Detective by Aliette de Bedard, which is part of the Shuya series of novellas, the universe of the Shuya. I, I mean, I have talked about de Bedard before. I've talked about the Shuya before. Y'all know I love it. And... As you might guess from the title of this, there is a tea master in this. And I think brewing tea is an art form similar to baking and cooking personally. Right? Like that's that's. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. And, you know, you get to like savor it and consume it and think about like the ingredients and all of that stuff. Like it has all of the foodie hallmarks as far as I'm concerned. Beverages count. Um, So, (laughs) and this is also a murder mystery in space. So for all of my Sherlock Holmes fans in particular, uh, this is like that kind of Holmes and Watson dynamic between a sentient spaceship called the Shadow's Child, who actually has some PTSD, uh, was in the military, there was a traumatic incident, and now the Shadow's Child brews special teas, which the only way that humans can space travel is by drinking these specially formulated mind-altering teas um, to keep them sane during the the ravages of space travel. So that's the Shadow Child's specialty. Uh, And then there's the scholar Long Chow, who is specifically wanting the retreat of a corpse from space, like gross, um, but uh, and comes looking for Shadow's child and is like, okay, you know, here I will pay you a lot of money to go get this corpse from space so I can study 
what happens to corpses in space. And Shadow's Child is like, gross, but like I could use the money. Um, and then everything gets much more complicated. So it is... I just, I mean, the world building is so rich and the tea descriptions are, like, I love tea. I'm a huge tea drinker and fan. And I do remember feeling in the same way that, like, you know, some for the wild built, like, makes you want to go drink some tea. Like, my tea is not going to help me travel through space, but I can pretend. I can (laughs) pretend. (laughs) So that's The Tea Master and the Detective by Aliette de Bedard. I love that. I will read any tea book. Uh, after a psalm for the wild built, I was just like, I just want to read more books yes. in general about tea. Like, yes. I'm suddenly very into it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to talk about a book that both of us love, and it's Light from Uncommon Stars by Rika Aoki. And I was just thinking about the last book that really made me hungry. And that's why I thought about this one. So this is a fun, heartwarming, at times heartbreaking story about a young trans woman named Katrina Wynn who's run away from home and is living a really hard life, barely making ends meet as a sex worker and sharing a roof with some of the worst roommates in the world. Just the worst. And then she meets Shizuka Satomi, and Shizuka is a renowned violin teacher and also mentor who's taught some of the world's most famous violinists. So, like, everybody knows who she is. Everybody stops in their tracks when they see her. And Shizuka also happens to have made a deal with the devil and needs to find the student of students or lose everything. And, of course, wouldn't you know it, Katrina and her... To put it very gently, weathered violin are this really unstoppable force. And then you also have Lan Tran, who's uh, so much more than the owner of a San Gabriel donut shop, although the makers and purveyors of donuts are absolute heroes in my eyes mm-hmm. because... I love donuts. And Lan also happens to be a retired starship captain and an interstellar refugee. So these three very unlikely people come together in this adventure that celebrates love and friendship and queer community and music and, of course, food. So, like I said, of all the books I've read in probably recent years, this one just made my mouth water the most. It's not just about the donuts. I'll say, like, the the donut shop is one of the central settings Mm. of the story where Lan and her four kids bustle about and they're serving their community these delicious pillowy sweet fried dough pieces that um, I'm obsessed with. And then, like, even the near soulless like Shizuka can't deny the allure of Lan's donuts, much less the allure of Lan herself. But then beyond that, beyond the donuts, Aoki goes into great detail in describing some of LA Metro's best from the San Gabriel Valley to Chinatown. And I wanted to go back to LA just to revisit some of the places that were mentioned in this book. And if ever you wanted a guide to Asian American cultural and culinary hubs in LA Mm. in the form of this sci-fi fantasy romp, this is it. Um, from the descriptions of noodles to the glistening ducks hanging in the windows of restaurants and the descriptions, even the descriptions bringing to life what it's like to just sit in a restaurant enjoying your food. 
I really don't know how you can read this book and not get hungry or miss indoor dining if you're like me and you've sort of been avoiding it. Yeah. (laughs) So that really made me a little wistful and just put me in my feels. And then more than that, or maybe even just tied to the experience of enjoying food and restaurants, these are kind of moments in the book where Katrina, who suffered all sorts of literal and figurative blows, can feel really at ease and really enjoy herself. Mm. So these restaurants and the transportive power of food serve as a kind of refuge from the hardships she suffers. And the detailed descriptions give you the sense that Katrina is fully absorbed in the experience of savoring and delighting in these moments. It's like the moments also when Katrina is playing her violin. It just Mm. like makes your heart soar for her. And Katrina as a character is so deeply impacted by feelings of like being a burden and being unlovable and just being victimized Mm. by a world that's taught her to fear and expect the worst that every moment she's given reprieve from her worries and traumas is a moment you want more of for her. So I'd say that the food in this book is not only in service to reader appetites, but to the character of Katrina and what she represents and Katrina needing these moments of revelry like she needs the friendship and support of these two women, Shitsuka and Lan. Um, So yeah, we've talked about this book a couple times now. And if the foodies out there needed an endorsement, here it is. So I've been talking about Light from Uncommon Stars by Rika Aoki. I did not think about the food in that framing, so I so appreciate that. I I mean, obviously, I was very aware of it, and like when I think back, I was like, oh, yes, totally a foodie book, but I hadn't really thought about what role it plays for the characters, so thank you for that. That's that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Oh, well, that's great. I didn't even think about it until I actually thought about the food (laughs) really in depth. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's nice. Well, thinking about feelings and food, that brings Mm. us to my fantasy pick, which is The Heartbreak Bakery by A.R. Capetta. This book I inhaled. It is... I just don't even know what to tell you, y'all. Like, the cover alone, like, there's, like, it's a beautiful illustration of, like, there's, like, egg, frying eggs and muffins and brownies and cookies and a whisk and, you know, all of these different things. So this is about uh, Sid, who is, it, it is I guess it's sort of a YA novel, but honestly, like Sid, Sid is, you're never in school in this book. Sid is going to school, but works, more importantly, at a bakery, a queer bakery in Austin, and like is planning on going to, you know, chef school or whatever. Like this is Sid's dream is to bake. Like that's, that's the number one thing that Sid wants to do. And that's what Sid does at the Proud Muffin. And so, but (laughs) Sid gets dumped and Mm. has, oh, like it's that first love heartbreak and goes to the bakery and makes a batch of brownies that then break up everybody who eats them. (gasps) <gasps> including no. the owners of the Proud Muffin, 
which could mean that the bakery is not going to exist anymore, which is like the end of the world. Like as far as Sid is concerned, like this cannot be happening. And like also Sid is like, how did I make people break up with brownies? Like I I put my feelings into my baking, but like I didn't nothing is supposed to happen about that. Like what is going on? Because there's no other magic in this. This is the only piece of magic in this in this book, which is so cool and interesting. Mm. Um, and then Sid starts talking to the cute bike delivery person, Harley. Uh, and there's like a budding romance. And it's just a, like a wonderful exploration of what baking can mean to us as like a form of not only achievement and accomplishment, like trying to master that recipe and get it exactly right and like seeing people enjoy the food that you made, but also like as a form of, you know, therapy almost like baking something is a place to put your feelings and then like Mm -hmm. maybe sometimes there are unintended consequences of that. Um, But it's really beautiful. It's also so much about queer community and like the everybody rallying around like how do we save the proud muffin? It's like our haven, like it's our space. How do we keep that space going? And it doesn't end exactly the way I expected, which is even better like, I love it when a book throws me a little bit of a twist at the end um, that just, like, delivers an ending I didn't even think of wanting, but that's so perfect. And, yeah, and I think also this book, I would give it to anybody who is feeling like they are not always represented in what they're seeing of the queer community. Like, Sid is struggling Mm. with gender identity. There's a lot of different folks in this book who are living their best lives or trying to figure out what that looks like. And I love the way that all of those voices get to speak in this book and give you just so many different options of, like, yeah, who do I want to be in the world? Like, there's there are options. You have options. So... It's totally heartwarming. It's absolutely mouthwatering. There are actual recipes in the book. There are recipes in the book. So you can make some of the things yes! that Sid... I know. My favorite. I love it when there's recipes in the book. So you can make some of the things that Sid makes. It's just delightful. I haven't made any of the recipes, but I did finish this book and then immediately go make a batch of chocolate chip scones. Like, that's what happened. <laughs> I put down this book and then I went and made scones. So, you know, you you too can have that experience. Uh, so again, that's The Heartbreak Bakery by A.R. Capetta. Oh, my goodness. My stomach literally growled. <laughs> I hope that the mic did not pick that up. I was, like, looking at the cover, too. Yes. I'm thinking about chocolate scones. But that sounds so good. I love, like, food and community are just, yeah. like, they just go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. So what a delight. Well, I'm going to keep up the baking theme with my next pick, which I've been wanting to read for a while and was glad I had this opportunity. And it is A Wizard's Guide to Defensive Baking by T. Kingfisher. And it was really the title. I didn't even know who it was by when I first came across it. But I saw that title and I was like, okay, this has to be good. Because first (laughs) of all, baking... And it's defensive baking? Like, what even is that? (laughs) So this is YA fantasy. And I'd say it's also probably a good fit for middle grade readers reading Mm. above their level. Though there are some dark moments and there is some murder afoot because it starts out as a murder mystery. 
So the story follows Mona. She's 14 years old, and she has this gift for baking. And it's not just any sort of gift like somebody like me could have. It is a magical gift. So Mona lives in a city, and she's really proud of her city in that uh, it's historically been a welcoming place for magical folk, which is not true for every city. There is some fear about wizards and the use of magic and most everyone that Mona herself knows who has the gift has what what's called a minor magical talent so small things small magical things Mona herself has a minor magical talent so there are wizards elsewhere who she looks at in awe because they can do things like bring bolts of lightning down from the sky and do all these dramatic things. But those wizards are enlisted into the army and they're distant and storied. They're like legendary people that are separate from the common folk uh, Mona usually talks to and sees on the street. Um, So Mona's problems and problems for all magical people in her city start with the discovery of a murdered young woman in Aunt Tabitha's bakery where Mona works. And Mona falls under suspicion and gains the unwelcome attention of the city's inquisitor. And so what starts out as this murder mystery turns into a story about Mona discovering that there's more to her abilities than she ever could have imagined and gaining an ally in a very young pickpocket And just doing the most to try to save her city and fellow people from a really terrifying enemy, like the stuff of, like, the the type of enemy that kids are told stories about to scare them. And so, but this book in general is just a delicious delight. There's so much good stuff for all the bakers out there, like a temperamental but fiercely loyal sourdough starter named Bob, (laughs) who is just one of the best characters, even though the scenes are are few and far between. But Bob, I think, is a very important character in this book. There's also this spicy, in both spirit and flavor, gingerbread man familiar uh, that hangs out with Mona on her shoulder usually. And there's just some really creative magic using baked goods. And I think that if Aunt Tabitha's bakery existed in real life, I would 100% be a regular because Mona is the best kind of bakes, baked goods merchant. She she remembers all of her customers' orders and preferences. And when things go awry in the kitchen, there's always a chance to use magic to compel the dough to, like, rethink its choices. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that that was fabulous. And... You know, she knows how to placate Bob the starter, which, pe- like, people are afraid of Bob, but <laughs> he's really loyal. And I'm currently trying to restart my starter, so I feel for those moments <laughs> in the book. But also, baking is this great fo- uh, foil for Mona's thinking about her abilities and what she's capable of accomplishing, which I think really makes this a great book for YA readers, uh, younger readers. And her parents died when she was really young, but at the start of the story, 
Years later, she has this very cozy, pretty sheltered life in the safest place in the world, a bakery, performing her minor magic, completely certain nobody could see her as a force to be reckoned with, and a bit oblivious, honestly, to the stirrings on the streets. She's kind of the last person to realize something isn't right with the city, which is why she's taken off guard when... You know, she becomes this suspect and she keeps saying, you know, I'm just a baker and I'm just 14. And Mona thinks of herself as just this and just that. But, you know, she when she realizes how quickly the tides can turn when a person in power gives people a reason to unite through division, um, things change in a lot of ways for her. Her perspective about what she can do and what impact she can make changes. So I definitely made connections here. I'll leave it to you to read it and decipher for yourself. But in the end, I can only hope to magic up a starter as helpful as Bob. <laughs> and I came away with a a deep hankering for pies and cinnamon rolls and biscuits. So I recommend taking a trip to the bakery before you start reading. So if you love baking, and also if you're into books by Diana Wynne-Jones, that kind of mm. read... You should definitely check out this book. It's A Wizard's Guide to Defensive Baking, again, by T. Kingfisher. I am so hungry right now. <laughs> Me too. Starving. Me too. Wait, did you name well, your starter yet? I haven't, but that's a really good idea. I should come up with a name. name. I it. need something a little bit, you know, menacing, I mm. think. Just to, <gasps> what just if you to named stay? it Moggit? <gasps> I am absolutely naming it Bogget. <laughs> that feels like the right reference that is a for a sourdough starter, right? <laughs> How perfect is that? You're a genius. <laughs> Yay, Mogget the starter. <laughs> what a rewarding episode this has been. And now I'm going to go tend to Mogget and eat something because I need to... So thank you so much for joining us. SFF Yet is sound edited by Caitlin Brame. Many thanks to her for making us sound great each and every episode. For more recommendations, definitely check us out at bookriot.com. You can find our other podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen. Thank you for listening. You can email us your ideas for upcoming episodes or tell us about food and sci-fi at sffyeah at bookriot.com. And if you have a moment, please do review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps people find us. And also Spotify. You can find us online. Where can they find you, Jen? You can find me on Twitter and Tumblr as Jen IRL, J-E-N-N-I-R-L, or on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And you can find me on Instagram at Williams, S-S-Z-A-I-N-A-B Williams. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye.